There's a woman in the Sudan. She's in jail. She's facing the death penalty. She was pregnant and had a child in there in jail, and now she's in jail with her child. She was put there because she married a Christian. As a child was four months old, she was diagnosed with eye cancer. Her eye was removed when she was three. Mother of three young children died of breast cancer. She was 31. The supporter, the main breadwinner in the family, lost his job. And now they don't know where their next meal is coming from. The woman is left to a life of picking up the pieces after years and years of child abuse. If there is anything to be said about suffering, one thing that we can say is this, we all have or will experience it at some point in our lives. We're all going to experience it. There's, there's no getting around it. There's no escaping it. It is the, perhaps, the universal experience of everyone who walks on the face of this earth. You will either suffer or know somebody who suffers, probably both. And it is a challenging thing to deal with. And so, just as a um, disclaimer up front, if you're suffering now, if you're going through the unimaginable right now at this point in your life, this might be a very difficult sermon for you. You might not agree with everything I'm saying. In fact, I'm sure at some points in my life, I've not agreed with everything I'm saying. Um, but we have to deal with it, and we have to address it, this universal experience of suffering. And the, the, the question that we jump to most, the question that we think we need answered, that there's an urgency about, that if we just had the answer to this one question, it would all be okay. Why, God? Would you allow this to happen? Why, God, do you let suffering? If you're a good God, and the Bible says you're a good God, why do you allow these things to enter into our lives and make them so miserable? Why? And is that question, the question of why, that philosophers and theologians have been trying and trying to answer for thousands of years. And they haven't gotten there. They haven't gotten there. We like to think that maybe the Bible would tell us why. That would be nice, but it doesn't. For instance, our letter, the epistle we read this morning, is written by Peter to a very persecuted church, a church that was undergoing much suffering. Um, it was written by Peter, you know, Jesus' right-hand man. Remember that passage in Matthew? Blessed are you, Peter, you shall be known as the rock. On you, on this rock, the church will be built, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's the Peter we're talking about. He's writing this letter to a persecuted church. Peter himself knew persecution. 
He was there, uh, except he left, but, but he was there. He saw Jesus suffering. He knew all about that. He had suffered himself. This same Peter who wrote this letter to this persecuted church would be crucified upside down, mind you, because he refused to die in the same way that his Lord and Savior died. So this Peter who knows something about suffering and this church he's writing to has experienced something about suffering, you would think that at some point in five chapters, Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, would be able to tell us why it was happening. But he doesn't. And so we're left with speculation, with some very good speculation. There are certainly some great things out there on suffering, but God in His wisdom and His mercy considers it more important to help us and teach us how to walk through suffering than to tell us why it's happening. And I think that's a good thing. I think that is a good thing. And so Peter writes this letter, five brilliant chapters reflecting on God and reflecting on what it means to be a Christian in the midst of persecution, a fabulous book, but he doesn't tell us why we suffer. He only tells us how we are to suffer, what it looks like when Christians suffer, what can we can expect. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, this just very brief passage of a great letter um, talking about what we do in the midst of suffering. And so, um, a, a few things to sort of clear the ground before we move forward. We can't answer why we suffer, but we can say that it is the result of a fallen and broken world. This world is broken. It's not right. People aren't supposed to die. You know, people aren't supposed to get kicked out of their homes because they believe in God. People aren't supposed to get thrown in jail while they're pregnant because they married a Christian man. That's a result of a broken and fallen world. So that's part of it, is this a broken world. Second thing, everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. Everybody in this room has suffered or will suffer or has suffered and will suffer again at some point in their lives. Okay? Everybody suffers. The third thing, and this is the hard part, um, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we probably are going to suffer a little bit more than everybody else. Now, um, you know, the trend in church today is to try to be seeker-friendly and try to be appealing to people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And so for me to stand up here and say, If you believe in Jesus, you're going to suffer more than everybody else. That's not real friendly, but it's true. It's not friendly, but it's true. But the benefit, then, to knowing Jesus Christ is knowing a way through the suffering. You're going to experience it whether you like it or not, but do you know the way through it? And that's the answer that Peter is giving us today. And so, there are two things we can get from our reading this morning, that, that, that two attitudes that we're called to have in the midst of suffering. And admittedly, it's a lot easier to have these attitudes after you've suffered than suffered or before you've suffered. It's a little more difficult to have them while you're suffering. But you have to know about them. You have to be prepared, and God willing, God will implant these on your heart. And so, Peter says we need to rejoice. You heard me. 
rejoice in our sufferings, and trust, trust the mighty hand of God. Rejoice and trust. So we'll start with rejoice. Why on earth would we want to rejoice in our sufferings? Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, he uses some vivid language. He's not messing around. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial as though something strange were happening to you. So the first reason we rejoice in our sufferings is because Jesus told us it was going to happen. He told us it was going to happen. You know, we, we get so surprised sometimes when people suffer because they believe in Jesus. And we, we act like this is news to us. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said it was going to happen. Look, if we looked at John chapter 15... These are some of the last words Jesus says to his disciples before his um, crucifixion. It'd be nice if he said, hey, I love you guys, and I'm, I'm going to be back. Um, y'all, y'all do a great job. Y'all are going to be fine in this world. But he doesn't. He doesn't says that, say that. He says, verse 20, remember the, world, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. It's not ambiguous. It's not like they might, or if you say the wrong thing, they might persecute you. He says, they're going to do it. Did they persecute Jesus? Yes. They crucified him. They will persecute us. We should expect a level of suffering that comes from following Jesus. But it's not only that. Even if you go back to Genesis... It says a result, a consequence of the fall is suffering. It says specifically that, that man will suffer while he plows the field and he works, he, works, um, he tills the, 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 the yard for his, for his food. And he says women will suffer in childbirth. The, the consequence of sin is suffering. We should expect it. And if you follow Jesus, he tells you it's going to happen. And we should rejoice in that. Because it's, he's, he's saying true things. If you're really suffering, it's very likely that you're following Jesus very closely. A lot of times we think, well, if I'm happy and if the money's pouring in and if everything's perfect, then I must be blessed by Jesus, so I must have a really good faith. And no, the answer is not that. It's actually, if you're suffering, you're probably pretty close to God. And you can somehow rejoice in that. Second thing, why should we rejoice? Verse 13. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The second reason that we can rejoice in our sufferings is because we are sharing in the very sufferings that Christ had. That's actually a privilege, friends, to share in the suffering of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What that means, then, is if if you're sharing in his sufferings, it means you're joined to him. You've been joined to him. You are united with Christ. And so it's going to bring you to the depths of despair. I promise you it's going to be hard. And you are united to Jesus Christ in that. But what happens afterwards? He's raised to new life. 
He's ascended to God the Father. And if we are united to Christ in his sufferings, how much more, Paul says, how much more will we be united to him in his resurrection? And so we rejoice because we have been united with Christ in his sufferings. Friends, again, this isn't surprising. Our Savior, the one who has called us out of sin into new life, the one who we stake all of our hopes and all of our dreams on, he has been crucified. He has been crucified. And we should expect the same, to be crucified with him so that we might have new life in Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice. It's not easy. It's not fun. But somehow we rejoice in the fact that we are united with Christ, and so we get to share in his sufferings, so that we may also rejoice in his resurrection. The final reason that we can rejoice in our sufferings. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of God rests upon you. Peter is um, quoting Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. That verse says this. Um, It's talking about the Messiah, the one who would come and save Israel. And it says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That spirit fell upon Jesus in his baptism. We see that recounted in in several of the Gospels, that this spirit of God fell upon Jesus, the Messiah, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And even though that spirit was on him, Jesus was still crucified. He still suffered. It wasn't just in his death that he suffered. When Lazarus died, Jesus wept. He suffered with Mary and Martha at the death of their brother. And he had the Spirit of God on his shoulders the whole time. And that same Spirit that fell upon Jesus Christ has fallen upon each of us. At Pentecost, that spirit was unleashed into the world and it fell upon the apostles and those who heard the apostles, it fell upon them and it has fallen upon every person in this room who has faith in Jesus Christ. We have that spirit of God. And that spirit leads us through suffering. He doesn't pull us out of it as much as we'd like him to, but he leads us through it so that we might have new life on the other side. And so we rejoice because the Spirit of God is upon us, even and almost most tangibly while we suffer. Um, So the next part is what are we to do? And what we're to do is trust. We're to trust in God in the midst of our rejoicing over our sufferings. And um, the reason we can trust, just to take a little detour for a second, is because of the passage we read from Acts this morning. Um, Do you remember that? The apostles were with Jesus, and he says, now's the time for me to return to my Father. And he's he's lifted up into the cloud, representing the glory of God. And the disciples um, look at him and praise him and worship him because he has ascended 
to the right hand of God, is what we read elsewhere. That the, the risen Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And this is good news because at the right hand is power. At the right hand is authority. At the right hand is Jesus ruling over his creation. One day, the enemies of God will be made a footstool for his feet. That's the importance of the ascension. That's where Jesus is right now ruling over this world. He is in charge. He is in command. And so the question is, can we trust the one sitting at the right hand of God? Can we trust him? The answer is absolutely. Because the same Jesus who sits at God's right hand is the one who humbled himself and walked on this earth as a man who took on humanity, the perfect man, and died for us. He was sinless, and he took our sins on his shoulders. He took the penalty of death that we deserve. He took that and nailed it to a cross. And God raised him from the dead. And now he sits at God's right hand. So the one who rules over creation is also the one who loves you so much that he would die for you. Can we trust him? By all means. We can trust him. And so we read in in chapter 5 that we are to, um, verse 6, we are to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. We're called to have no worries. Now that's an easy thing to say and that's a harder thing to do, but but that's, that's what it says here. Cast all your anxieties on Jesus because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In the midst of our sufferings is often when we're the most vulnerable, when Satan can come in and attack us and get us. And yet we call to believe and trust in Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God the Father. And so instead of waiting for that and falling to that temptation, we're aware and we're looking out for Satan because he's on the prowl. In verse 9, resist him, resist Satan, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone in your suffering. There are people sitting in this room with you who have suffered as much or more than you are right now. There are people around the world who are suffering with you. And you have a Messiah, a Lord, who has suffered and is suffering with you as well. I had a friend in seminary, and they had a miscarriage and went through a lot of um, grief over that, of losing their child. And we had a conversation some months later, and he said, Tyler, it was the most intense suffering I've ever experienced. My only solace was the fact that I was not going anywhere that my Savior had not gone before me. But Jesus Christ has suffered everything you're suffering and more. He's suffered separation from the Father for your sake. And so the sufferings you're going through right now, he's with you. He's been there. He knows what it's like. 
And he's telling you it's not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to you. For the glory you can expect in the resurrection. Why are we suffering? We don't know for sure. But we know how to suffer. We suffer in re- by rejoicing. We suffer, yet we trust. And we have a hope. So even if you're in the midst of suffering and you have a hard time rejoicing, I know that, I understand that. If you're in the midst of suffering and you have a hard time trusting, I know that, I understand that as well. But look, set your eyes on the one who has been raised from the dead and who is seated at the right hand of God because that one, Jesus Christ, he's going to come again. He will come again. And what does it say? After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's coming. Some of you might not see it in this life. You might have to wait. But some of you will. We'll taste it even before death. But one day he will return. The God of glory, the God of power, Jesus Christ himself will return. He'll establish his reign on this earth once and for all. And there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more suffering. Because we'll look at Jesus Christ and we'll see him face to face. We'll be raised in glory. And you will know the power of God once and for all. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand.